dear sister, for your testimony. We praise God for you and for your family and for the work of grace that God has wrought in your heart. I remember my, my wife coming back. I think that was the first meeting, and uh, we, we prayed for you and uh, prayed for Laura and asked God to just grant you faith. And um, she would come after each meeting and tell me that God is working. God is moving in your heart. I would tell the tell Bob and the pastors, and we rejoice together, and to uh, baptize you a few weeks ago, and to hear your full testimony today, we delight in the Lord, we rejoice God, and how great and awesome our God is, how faithful He is, His love indeed endures forever. Um, We have been praying for you and your family, we'll continue to do so, and let's go to the Lord and pray for them now. Oh, how high and holy, gracious Father. How marvelous are your deeds. Lord, we behold what manner of love that you have given to us, that we should be called sons and daughters of God, that you would give us such grace, such the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, on behalf of our sins, Lord. Lord, we deserve to hang on the cross. We deserve to be called cursed for hanging on the tree. But Lord, you cursed your own Son because of your love for us that we might have our sins forgiven. Indeed, the blood of Christ is enough for our atonement, for the forgiveness of all our sins. And Lord, to see that bear fruit in our dear sister's life, Carrie, Lord, we thank you for your compassion and mercy upon her soul. We thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you, O God, for your mercy upon her, and causing her to trust in you while she was dead in trespass, while her heart was rebelling against you, full of false understanding, false view of you, you did not count her sins against her. But indeed, Lord, you show yourself faithful. And Lord, you saved her. Or we, we, we just praise you, O God, for your mercy and your for loving kindness upon her. And we pray that 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 loving kindness will extend to our family, to our husband and children, and this household one day together. Praise your name together in unity, in unity of heart and mind. Lift up their voices and sing to you and worship you together. Oh God, we pray that your righteous hand will reside upon, carry, cause her to grow into a mighty woman of God, that by her way of life she would give testimony to your grace. And many will see and fear you. Many will see and worship you. Lord, we uh, humble ourselves. We bow our knee. We, we bow low, O oh God, at your goodness. May uh, we continue to praise you and pray that your glory might be seen by more and more people in our lives. We thank you and pray all these things in your Son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, what a wonderful testimony. It just seemed like a few years ago that Laura was here giving her testimony about God's faithfulness to her soul, God saving her, and to see even our sister Laura faithfully ministering the gospel and uh, Carrie coming up. We look forward to a long line of men and women giving testimony to God's grace uh, through your lives. Well, let's open our Bibles to Titus Chapter 2, we are finishing our study 
on the section of women. In verses 3 through 5. But let's read together verses 1 through 10. Just to give us a right understanding of uh, the section that we're in. Titus 2, 1 through 10. Let's stand together. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Please be seated. Well, we are in verse 5 on the last, seventh and last virtue of a godly woman, of a godly younger woman in the church. past two weeks were spent studying how women are to be kind. And today, we'll be studying how women are to be submissive to their own husbands. There is that S word, Submission. Most women today have developed a touch of paranoia at the mere mention of the word. Every, every wedding that I do, I somehow squeeze in that word, submission. And oftentimes, our weddings are, are filled with people not from Cornerstone, who are not used to this teaching. And sometimes, you can sense people's response, almost a, almost a slight gasp almost uh, a shock that the pastor would dare say the word submission in the 21st century. And you know what? On one hand, I don't blame many women when, they consider, when I consider the abuses and erroneous ideas that, have, that people have put forth concerning the submission of women. And there are many wrong ideas, wrong views have been proposed about submission. Add to that the failure of men to humbly, lovingly, and wisely lead their wives. You couple those two things together, and it's no wonder submission is a bad word today, even in the church. 
I suppose there are many reasons why this word is so hated, reviled by people. Um, I'll give you a long list of reasons. Just give you maybe top two reasons why people dislike this, this word. I think we all hate submission. We all hate the word. Because in our flesh resides sinful rebelliousness to the human, of the human heart to authority. We hate authority. Our hearts are bent towards rebellion. We don't want to submit to God and the governing authorities that God has established over us. I remember when I was um, a teenager, I used to, you know, I wasn't born with the Bible. I, I lived in the world and I used to love um, secular music. And one of the bumper stickers I put up right over my desk was in bold red letters, question authority. Right? So praise God, my parents didn't come in and read what it, what it said. But that was my motto in life. Question authority. Don't submit to authority. Whether it be teachers, police officers, government officials, parents, leaders in the church, my job, my responsibility is to rebel. This is the beginning of sin. Adam and Eve. They were under the authority of God. And their act of sin was one of rebellion. And that continues today. That is why it's not just women, not just wives. Everyone hates the word submission. Second reason, specifically to wives, is that I believe many have a misunderstanding of this biblical concept called submission. They misunderstand the headship of the husband, what it means and they misunderstand what submission of the wife means. They think that if I acknowledge the headship of my husband, or if I submit to my husband, it will result in abuse. Physical, verbal, emotional abuse. It means that I'm going to have to be the doormat of the household. I'll have to do whatever he says. He's going to make me do dishes every day. He's not going to help at all. I'm going to have to do every all the dirty work in the house. If I submit, then I'm doomed to a life of misery and unfulfillment. They wrongly think that happiness is found, fulfillment is found in freedom. Doing what I want to do and when I want to do it. I think a lot of people grow up seeing submission practiced in the cultural sense. Whether in American culture, Asian culture, they see a practice in the home and that's how they view submission. And when they come to the Bible and they see that word, these um, memories flash back and they equate their cultural experience of submission with the Bible's description of submission. Bible's instruction of submission, when that is not the case. When we are talking about submission to the church, we're not talking in the traditional sense of the word, not in the cultural sense, not in the way understood and practiced in the different cultures and societies in the world. We are talking about biblical submission. Biblical submission. It is so much different, so different than 
how submission is practiced in the world today, in various cultures. We would humbly and earnestly plead with you to think a second time, to not close your heart, close your mind because of this S word, but reconsider what biblical submission is. And after having examined what the principles are behind biblical submission, after having examined the right practices of biblical submission, then consider whether you want to embrace it or reject it. Do not just offhand reject this biblical truth. The Bible tells us that biblical submission is a good quality. It's a good quality that all believers are called upon to have. It is a godly quality. Biblical submission is a Christ-pleasing, in fact, Christ-like attitude. All believers are called to submit. All believers. This is modeled by Christ Himself. His incarnation is an example for Christians. And one of the things His incarnation models for us is how, though He was fully God, He submitted Himself to the Father. Not because the Father was more valuable, more superior, more God than He. No, Christ submitted Himself to the Father to accomplish our redemption, accomplish our salvation, but also to model for us that submission is a good thing. It's a God-like thing. It's a Christ-pleasing attitude. Because submission is a characteristic that all of us are called to exemplify in various relationships in our lives. Luke 2.51, Christ Himself submitted Himself to His parents. Though He was fully God, He submitted Himself under the direction and authority of Joseph and Mary. Titus 2.9, Elder Bob will be preaching on this next week. Masters and slaves, in our context, our managers, our employers, our bosses, how we are to submit to them, right? And we have master-slave relationships in America today. We have slavery in America. And it's called the armed forces. You join the military, you sign yourself away, sign away your rights, for X number of years. And if your drill sergeant says, wake up 3 a.m., you wake up at 3 a.m. If your sergeant commanding officer tells us to charge that hill and bullets are flying at you, you can't say, no, I'd rather not. You know, no, someone else do it. You are called upon to obey, to submit to your authorities. And that comes from the scriptures as well. It's knowledge from the scriptures as well. We are called upon to Submit to government and law enforcement, Romans 13. Submit to law enforcement, Romans 13. We're called upon to submit to your church elders, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. We're to submit to God, James 4.7. We are to submit to Christ, Ephesians 4.7. We are called upon to submit to the Word of God, Romans 8.7. We are called to submit to one another. To rank under one another, Ephesians 5.21. The Bible is clear that submission is a godly attitude that must be displayed in every area of our lives. 
In fact, the opposite of submission is rebellion. And it is a satanic characteristic. A characteristic of Satan that we are called upon to mortify. If we have a rebellious spirit, and we all do, we have a predisposition to disagree, to question, to rebel, to disobey. We are to fight that in our hearts. Fight that in the flesh. I will ask you, are you a submissive person? Are you growing in that trait? Growing in that characteristic? Would your parents say you are submissive? Would your bosses say, oh, she is easy to work with. She understands her role. She understands hierarchy and authority. And that it's not personal, but for the benefit of our company, we, for our organization, we have hierarchy, we have a line of command, and she knows her place, and she knows how to work with the team. She's a very easy person to work with. Or would your manager say, she's so difficult, or he is so difficult, so rebellious? Law enforcement, do you make their work difficult? Or do you thank them for their work? You know, I, I pride myself on not getting a ticket for over 11 years. And I was just boasting in the flesh, telling my wife, man, clean record. And she warned me, James, you know, you're just asking for it. Well, 11 years, I've been saying this, no ticket thus far. And then, six months ago, right? <laughs> you know, it was my fault. It was a right turn lane traffic, and I went straight, and the police officers are waiting right there. It was almost like a trap. They set it up to catch people. And soon as I, you know, I, I went straight, he was right there waiting for me. And so what do you do? You comply, you smile, you take out your registration and license, hoping that they'll let you off, right? So, but they did it. They gave me a ticket. My response was, thank you, officer. Thank you for your work. Thank you for upholding the law. You know, I didn't thank you for the ticket, but thank you for upholding the law. You know, you're doing a great job. Right. Is that your response, your attitude towards those in law enforcement? What about your church elders, your flock shepherds, your small group leaders? Do you make their work a joy? Or do you make their work difficult? Do you burden them unnecessarily? Or because of your defined attitude, do you, do you discourage them, make their work hard? Right. Now, best teacher is teachable. Right. How can you be a good teacher? Be a, be a teachable person. Best leader knows how to follow. Right. So submission is a trait that is um, valued in Scripture. It's called upon for all Christians, in fact, all men. For our purposes, wives are called to submit to their husbands. Wives are called to biblical submission to their husbands. The Greek word is hypotasso. 
It's a compound word, a military term. It comes from two words, hupo, which is meaning under. Hupo means under. Taso means to arrange. When combined, it means to rank or arrange under. The picture is one of a soldier who is under the authority of his commander following his lead. So a wife is called to remain under her husband, to acknowledge his headship, to acknowledge for herself his authority in the family. His authority. So it's a call for wives to understand their role in the family, and that she is not to be the head and the husband to follow. No, the husband is to be the head, and she is to follow him. There are... um, Submission is found 39 times in the New Testament, this word, hypotasso. Six times it's referred to of wives submitting themselves to their husbands. Let me read for you uh, these six passages, six verses of Scripture um, commanding or instructing the wives. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.24 As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Colossians 3.18 Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Titus 2.5 The verse that we're studying. Be subject to their, own, to their husbands. Be submissive to your husbands. 1 Peter 3.1 Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of your lives. 1 Peter 3.5 This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. Clear instructions clear design, clear plan of God, instructing wives how they are to relate to their husbands. John Piper's quote is helpful there. Submission is a divine calling of the wife to honor, affirm, and nurture her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. Another quote, I don't know who, who it was, I left it blank. Submission is God's perfect, all-wise, all-loving way of attaining and maintaining function and order in the home. Submission includes reverence and respect toward her husband. It's a spiritual issue where she follows her husband in her heart and in action, internally and externally. Before we go on, I want to look at the specifics of this submission. Precision is so important in theology. We can't paint with broad strokes here. We need to be precise. And I want to highlight to you five specifics on biblical submission of wives to husbands. First specific detail we want to point out is wives are called upon to obey or submit to their own husbands. Submit to their own husbands. All six times it is directed specifically to wives. 
instructing them to submit to their own husbands. Right? Ephesians 5.22, submit to your own husbands. 5.24, to their husbands. 3.18, Colossians, your husbands. Titus 2.5, their husbands. 1 Peter 3.1, own husbands. 1 Peter 3.5, their husbands. In each case, submission of the woman is to her own husband. The Bible does not instruct all women to submit to all men. Right? The Bible does not give authority to men over women, but to husbands over their own wives. Not husbands to all wives, but husbands to their own wives. Second specific point is grammatical. Indicative versus imperative. When it comes to Bible reading, I think Christians far too often confuse indicatives and imperatives. An indicative indicative is simply a statement of fact. There is no ought or should or must in it. Just statements of fact. Ice cream has a lot of calories. Statement of fact. Not should, ought, must. My kids are dirty. These shoes are on sale. Statement of fact. You know, trading shack to keep Kobe... The best player in the league was the right decision. The fact. Right? (laughs) These statements simply tell us the way things are. An imperative, on the other hand, is a command. An imperative is a command. It tells us what we must do. So, I tell my daughter sometimes, smile. Right? You know, she disobeys. I correct her, discipline her, she's crying. And I say, Elizabeth, Emma, smile, and they smile. It's a command. I'm not asking, I'm, I'm commanding. Um, maybe your parents tell you to clean your room or yell at the TV, pass the ball to Kobe, right? You just, that's a command. The coach you know, commands the players. This grammatical distinction is very important. Well-meaning Christians misunderstand, misinterpret the Bible because... They confuse the two. For example, the gospel itself is an indicative. God saves sinners. That's simply true. God is holy. Man is in sin. God extends forgiveness. God loves all men. God saves those that have faith in Him. These are all indicative statements. This is the way things are. This is the truth. There is no call to do anything in terms of works, to earn salvation. This is the truth. Thus saith the Lord. Likewise, the headship of the husband in the home is an indicative, not an imperative. Ephesians 5.23 says that the husband is the head of the wife. Paul does not say that husbands ought to be the heads of their wives. He says they are. It's a fact. That is the reality. He's not telling us how the marriage relationship should be. He's telling us what the reality is. What the marriage relationship between the husband and wife is. In fact, he's telling us that marriage is defined in part as the headship of a husband over a wife 
without this authority, without this headship, there is no marriage. The Bible, in fact, gives many commands, many imperatives to the husbands. But the Bible never commands the husband to be the head. Right? Go and assert yourself. Be a leader. Be the head of the family. Never. Not even once. Why? Because it is not imperative. It's an indicative. That's the reality. That's the truth. He already is the head of the wife. But the nature of marriage, that's how God designed marriage. God created it in Genesis. And this is the order of the marriage relationship. So all husbands, therefore, find themselves in the position of, listen to this, in the position of inescapable leadership. All husbands find themselves in the position of inescapable leadership. He cannot refuse to lead. He cannot abdicate this position. At any point, he says, I will not lead. He is simply being a bad leader. He is simply being a bad uh, uh, authority, bad uh, covering, bad protector, bad husband. He can't stop being a leader. At any point, he refuses to do do this. He's leading his wife astray. So if a wife refuses to follow, she is destroying her husband because she, by her refusal, is forcing him to lead poorly, making him a terrible leader. So the order of things, that's the way it is. That's how God designed it. God is the creator of marriage. Now you go to one of those like carnivals and you see a monster and you pay 25 cents now with inflation 50 cents to see a two-headed monster right an animal with two heads we say that's abnormal an animal any creature has to have one head likewise in the marriage in the family one head one leader one authority right christ is the head of man and man is the head of the wife head of the woman Third specific is that it's in the middle voice. Right? Six times this verb is always in the middle voice. A little bit of a grammatical lesson here. Um, active voice is that I hit the ball. Simple, right? Active voice. Passive voice is I was hit by the ball. Middle voice is that I hit myself with the ball. It's an action done to oneself. Each time, the call to submission to wives, to their husbands, is always in the middle voice. This means the action of submission is self-imposed. The wife submits herself to her husband. No one enforces her, makes her submit. No one. It means she she subjects herself to another. She ranks herself under her husband. She chooses to follow. Submission is an act that a wife does to herself. She chooses to pursue submission on her wedding day and every day following that day. So husbands are never, okay, are never to force their wives to submit. Husbands are to never use submission as a tool for control. I asked my wife, 
in preparing for this message. Surin, in 10 years of marriage, have I ever told you to submit to me? Have I ever pulled a submit card? If I have, I want to ask for forgiveness because that is sinful, that is wrong. And she said, no. And I would say, in 10 years, I've never once asked her or told her to submit to me. I'll ask you, talk to me afterwards, okay? But not right now. But ask, as, a, as, an, as elders, have we ever asked you to submit to us? Right? We said service is at 9, right? So you want to come late, you know, we're not going to force you, right? We're not going to make you come at 9. That's part of submission to the elders. You might say, well, 9 is not a good time to start church. It's just not, right? <laughs> 10.30, right? That's the right time. Well, if you refuse to submit, we don't tell you to submit. You stand before the Lord, right? You believe coming to church when it's comfortable, convenient, that's up to you and the Lord. We lead because God has given us that stewardship, that responsibility. Whether you submit to your elders or not, it's between you and the Lord, right? And you and your conscience, and you and the scriptures, and your, you and your fellow believers. Now, if it's a sin issue, you're not submitting to the elders. Right? If you're stealing from a fellow Christian, or anyone else, you know, we, we, we call you to repent. That's not submission to the elders issue. That's a submission to the Bible issue. That's a moral issue. Right? It's completely different. But an eldership, completely different. Likewise, as elders, we, I don't, you tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe I, one time I did a few years ago. I repented of that. But... As far as I can remember, we've never, and as a husband, I have never told my wife to submit to me. Right. There is no command in the Bible instructing men to make sure their wife submits. Right. You would think Paul would say this if this was a command of God. Make sure your wife submits to you. See to it. Right. Do whatever it takes to make sure she follows you. Husbands are not to demand the submission of their wives. Instead, what is the command to the husbands? Make sure she submits? No. The command is, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right. Be such a husband where she would desire to submit. She would joyfully. It's her delight to submit to you. Right. Give yourself. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Love your wife sacrificially, right? unconditionally, eternally, and give yourself personally up for her, and she will submit. She will follow. Right? She will obey the Lord as you obey the Lord. Right? The husband is instructed simply to be the initiator of love the initiator of sharing God's perspective, the, initi- the initiator of seeking to obey God's word and his wife is to respond to his initiation by middle voice, right? imposing herself to submit to her husband's leadership. And as he, as more he grows in initiating love and self-sacrifice and selflessness, more she will grow in submission. But... It's the Holy Spirit working in her. Fourth specific, submission and not obedience. Submission and not obedience. God calls wives submit not to obey. 
Obedience does not appear in the Bible in relation to wives. Children, yes, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents. Regardless of whether you agree with it or not, it makes sense to you or not, whether your conscience tells you to or not, children are to obey their parents, period, in the Lord, period. Slaves, obey your masters. Obey them. But not for wives. Not for wives. In life, the call to wife is to submit, to rank under, to follow, not obedience. Now I was thinking through this, and I would say, um, practically in, in life and decision making, there are four areas where husbands and wives work through and where he leads and she submits. And uh, especially for you married folks out there, let me kind of lay this out and It'll make a lot more sense to marry people than singles, but maybe it'll be a good reference for you in the future. Four areas in decision-making. First of all, the first area is biblical areas, biblical issues. She submits to Christ, and she submits to her husband and the Lord in biblical issues, where it's clearly stated in Scripture. So, ministry in the church, it's a biblical issue. Evangelism to the lost called upon by the scriptures. He submits to Christ and she submits to her husband. She submits to Christ. Um, baptism is for believers only. So she might want, you know, little Johnny to be baptized, right? You know, two weeks old. But she submits to Christ as her husband submits to Christ. Biblical issue, right? On moral issue, second area is moral area. She submits to Christ and to her husband in the Lord, Right? No questioning, no debating, no arguing. She submits as the husband submits to Christ. Are we going to cheat on our tax returns? No, we're Christians. We don't lie. We tell the truth. There's no compromise here. There's no discussion here. right? Are we going to slander our neighbor? Are we going to gossip against our friends? No, there's no dialogue. We submit to Christ together. Third area is non-moral, non-biblical issues. Right? This is um, the gray area, the truly gray area. And each marriage is different. Each uh, husband-wife relationship, they, they work through this area differently. Right? In these non-moral, non-biblical, this non-moral, non-biblical area, uh, if her husband asks her to, she submits. She should not wait for submissive feelings. She should not think that her husband has to be worthy of submission. A godly woman actively pursues submitting to her husband because her heart of submission is as on to the Lord. She joyfully submits. So non-moral, non-biblical, like, where are we going to eat today? Right? So the husband, godly husband says, where do you want to eat? And she says, well, you know, where do you want to eat? And the husband says, we're going to eat Del Taco again. Right? It's a non-biblical, non-moral issue. She submits. Right? And this is the dance between husband and wife. And, and non-moral, non-biblical. But if there's a point of contention, point of disagreement, the husband humbly leads and the wife humbly and joyfully follows. 
Let's just be honest with you. In my relationship with my wife, um, I don't know if it's right or not. This is how, how we do it, right, in this area. Um, we do it 95-5. 95% of these issues I entrust to Sarin. She makes unilateral decisions on 95% of decisions in the household. She used to call me and ask me, like, what kind of cereal should we buy? And I would say, Sarin, you know, I love you. I trust you. Buy whatever kind of cereal you want. You make the decision, right? A few months later, so I'm buying curtains. What color do you want? I don't even know we have curtains, right? <laughs> I'm a guy. I don't care if you have curtains or not, right? You want to buy curtains. If you want to buy them or not, color, style, totally up to you. Right, in those decisions, right, she decides, and uh, I entrust her, she decides, and I almost follow her. That's fine. Now, in 5% of decisions we make together, but if there is an impasse, I take the lead, and she joyfully submits, right? So, like 10 years ago, we bought a foreclosed condo. These people are living in it, like these uh, single guys, they made a mess of it. There was animal droppings in the house. It was like awful smell, awful stench emanated from this condo. When I showed her the condo, I think Shane was there with me. We, we went together. She wouldn't come in the place. She wouldn't walk in with her shoes because it was so messy. So It was like animal droppings all over the ca- uh, carpet. I said, Seren, I know you don't want to live here. But we'll clean it up, we'll get new carpeting, we'll paint the walls. Trust me, right? She says, yes, okay, I'll trust you, right? We bought the place. When you buy a car, for example, she's not sure, I'm not sure. You know, we've always bought used cars. I don't want her to make the decision and the car's a lemon and she feels responsible. Man, we bought a lemon. Surin, I told you we should have bought that SUV instead of that minivan, right? It's not that. So I'll make the call. If it's a lemon, it's my fault, right? If it's a good car, then, you know, we did well. We made a good decision, right? So 95.5 in non-moral, non-biblical area. Fourth area is in the conscience and wisdom area. Conscience and wisdom area. I, I contend that she is called to be submissive, but there's a difference between active submission and passive submission. Right. If, she, if it is against her conscience, she can choose to passively submit, like not obey. Right? If it's an area of wisdom, she can passively submit, meaning step back and withhold her happiness, withhold her enthusiasm, withhold her wholeheartedness. She can passively submit by appealing to her husband and asking him to reconsider this decision once again, right? The area of conscience and wisdom. So I've got to give you examples for it to make sense. So I'll give you one example in the conscience area, the other in the wisdom area. So you guys know, if you've been at Cornerstone any number of months or years, you know my deep love for spam, right? That mystery meat that was my childhood friend growing up. I was a latchkey kid. You know, my mom was working, so... Spam was my friend, right? So we got married, and Sarin's like shocked at my love for Spam. I mean, I could just eat it, you know, every day. So one day, you know, we're running low on Spam, only like two, three cans at home, running low. So 
I asked my wife to go to Costco and pick up, you know, spans. When you go to Costco, you can't buy one or two. But an eight-pack, right? I pick some up, you know, bring it home. So she comes home and she puts that can of, sp- you know, that package of spam on the table. And she, honest story, she tells me, James, this is the last time I'm buying spam for you, right? If you want to eat spam, if you want to, you know, have spam, you go and buy it yourself, right? Don't make me go buy spam for you. I'm like, I'm not asking you to buy drugs or something. <laughs> it's like, what's the problem here? I mean, like, she stumbled over buying spam. I'm not asking you to buy, like, scotch or vodka. It's spam. It's legal. What's the problem? What, is, what are wives trying to do for their husbands? Right? Have them be healthier. Eat, you know, vegetables. Eat fruit. And if anything, she knows, like, spam is not healthy. She's trying to build up her family and help me as a man. You know, in my pride, I'm like, yeah, spam, it's good for me, right? <laughs> it's going to help, help my cholesterol level, right? That's my philosophy. But she's trying to help me. So for her, it was a conscience issue, right? So what's my response? I can't have her violate her conscience because she wants me to be healthy as a good thing. As a wife, she wants to be a helper. I can't force her to buy spam, right? I can't say, submit to me, buy me spam, right? Right? <laughs> Middle voice, right? I need to shepherd her heart. But how can I shepherd my heart, her heart, to buy me spam? That's ridiculous. Because right? I know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, in any, to any level reasonable, I know she's right, I'm wrong. I can't shepherd her heart, right, to submit to me. So, my response is, it's a conscience issue, right? She chooses to passively submit. She's not saying, you can't have spam, enforcing her conscience on me, right? I'd be wrong. But she can passively submit, saying, you can have spam, but I don't want any part of it, right? You do what you want to do. So, what's my response? I'll say, Suren, by God's grace, if that means that much to you, no more spam, right? So, her response is, Okay, once in a while, we'll get that low-salt low spam, <laughs> and we'll eat it once in a while. That's the dance, right? So maybe once or twice a month now I have spam, the low-salt kind, and that's the dance. But it's an area of conscience, right? Does that make sense? So she chooses to passively submit, and I don't force her, I can't force her to obey or submit, force her to actively submit. In the area of wisdom... Let's say your husband is making a foolish decision, right? A foolish decision. Passive submission is, I think, acceptable. Maybe it's even wise. Uh, let me give you this illustration. somewhat lengthy, but a true story. Uh, 2001 Lakers. I think it was the second time they went to the playoffs, right? So I wanted to go to this playoffs game against Portland Trailblazers. Game two. Right? Five game series. I know game three they're going to win in Portland. Game two is important. So somehow on eBay, I scored four tickets for 40 bucks each. Right? I got them on eBay. The guy sent it down to me, and I'm stoked, right? So what happened though? He sent it down. I put it on the dresser. It was with other paper, and my, and Serena actually threw it away. Right? Threw away the tickets. I had to email the guy again, explain the whole thing. He called Staples Center. 
he made a, you know, agreement with Will Call. I had to drive to Staples Center to pick up those tickets again uh, for these playoff tickets, right? So I called Bob and a few guys to go with me. But it was on the same night. They didn't decide when the game two would be. Same night as Anaheim Flock. Thursday night. Usually games are on Wednesday night. But for this playoff series, it's on Thursday night. So I'm in a dilemma here. I'm a pastor of a church. Okay. I've got Bible study on Thursday nights. Just Bible study, but Bible study on Thursday nights. And I've got Lakers playoff tickets that I had to not only buy on eBay, but because we threw it away, drive to Staples Center, pick them up myself, right? So what am I going to do? Right. So, okay, i got to hold on myself. Got sober. I'm not going to go, right? So I think like Albert Lowe got to go instead of me, right? So Albert Lowe was like, we called him up. You want to go to Lakers? He's like, sure. Oh, God is good to me. Who's praying for me here? So like Thursday night, these guys come in to pick up my tickets. And I'm like letting it go, you know, really slowly. So they go to, they go to the Lakers game, right? So waiting for flock. And like half the people don't show up that night. They're probably home watching the Lakers. <laughs> Half the people don't show up. And I'm like raging in my heart. I'm like, man, half the people don't show up. I could have been at the game. And, and so in that moment of temptation, my response was, well, next week we're supposed to have, you know, potluck fellowship night. So instead, let's have that tonight. And tonight's Bible study, since people aren't here, we'll have Bible study next week. I'm being a pragmatist. Do you understand what I'm saying, right? So tonight... We'll go have fellowship. How about we go to a pizza store nearby where they're showing the Lakers. We'll fellowship there. And then next week we'll have Bible study, right? So obviously I'm being foolish. I'm being selfish. And so my friend looks at me and she knows, James, what are you doing? Right? James, like it's only basketball, the Lakers. Like she knows I'm just being like a, just a dumb guy. But what does she do? Does she like rebel and say, you're a fool, right? It's wrong. Study the Bible, James. No. She's, she loves me. She's submissive to me. She goes to this pizza place, eats pizza. You know, she's helpful. But all the while, I can tell she's not joyfully submitting. It's not a wholehearted submission. It's not... Uh, she's not spinning it. She's not lying to herself or lying to me. Oh, James, he's being wise by doing this. She, you know, all the while, I know she's not agreeing with me, but she's passively submitting. And that night, before we go to bed, we talk, and I ask her, I was kind of foolish, huh? And she tells me the truth. Yes, James. You know, let's pray right now. He <laughs> was good, though, but man, I was foolish. I had to repent. But I thank God, if she had blatantly, she would have been right, right? Saying, that's wrong, James, for you to, right? She could have been Nathan to me. You were the one, right? But she was a good helper. She passed, she didn't, if she was actively submitting, she would have been lying. That's not right either. She was passively submitting and telling me the truth later on. I see an example of this in 1 Samuel 25. Don't turn with, turn there. Let me just summarize this for you. Um, 1 Samuel 25, there was a man named Nabal. It's Hebrew for fool. 
right? So he is, uh, has a flock of sheep in this valley, and he has been protected by David's men for many years. Because of David's men, his, his servants and his sheep have been protected by predators and by robbers. Enjoyed this protection. So David says, here is Nabal, he's a rich man, let's go down and we're hungry, we need some uh, food and water and other things, let's ask him for help. He goes down there and Nabal's response is, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Why should I acknowledge his authority? What has he done for me? Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to the men who come from I do not know where? He refused to help David's men. So David's young men, verse 12, turned away and told David. David said to his men, Every man strapped on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up with David. What are they going to do? They're going to teach Nabal a lesson, right? What a fool. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, this is what happened. These men were very good to us. We suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields. As long as we went with David's men, they helped us. Verse 16, they were a wall to us night and day. They, they secured and they helped us. They protected us night and day. Consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against our old household. And Nabal is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. David is coming to destroy the whole household. Nabal and his wife and family, servants, and no one can talk to this fool. He won't listen to anyone. Abigail, will you do something? So what does she do? She makes haste. She gets 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, other food, lays it on donkeys, and she says, go on before me, I come after you. David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness. God as my witness, if he remains till the morning, when Abigail saw David, she hurriedly <coughs> got down from the donkey, fell before David, she fell at his feet. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. His name is foolish and he is a fool. Folly is within him. Lord, my Lord, as the Lord lives, put his guilt upon me, she says. What's David's response to Abigail? Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be your wisdom. Blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. As surely as Yahweh lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, I will turn away. Go in peace. I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. 
right? So she protects her household, protects her husband from David, from his own foolishness, from his own uh, just wicked behavior, wicked decisions. When she comes back home, Nabal is drunk, so very drunk, she doesn't tell him what happened. Next morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, verse 37, his wife told him these things. David was coming, strapped with a sword to kill you. And I went and held him back. When Nabal heard this, his heart died within him and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. God struck him down for his wickedness. What was David's response? David's response was, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal. And he went to Abigail and took her as his own wife. See, he saw this wife helping her husband, protecting her husband, saw her discretion, her discernment, her wisdom, and he said, I need a wife like that. I need a wife who will help me and protect me from my foolishness and took her as his own wife. So, in the area of conscience and wisdom, I think passive submission is called upon. And if husbands, if you are wise, if there's any ounce or modicum of wisdom in you, you will see that. You will seek to protect your wife's conscience, not to harden it. And you will see the wisdom of your wife. She is trying to help you. She is trying to build you up. She is seeking to advance your happiness and have calculated plans to advance that happiness. So she is there for you. If you are wise, you understand her heart and acknowledge her right for passive submission and even listen to her and seek, understand her counsel. Well, let's move on. Um, Mutual submission. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Feminists assume that this teaching, this teaches uh, equality for everyone, so we are to submit to one another. In the context, it doesn't make sense. Because in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, it talks about parents and children. It doesn't make sense that children are to submit to parents in the same way parents are to submit to children. It's not a call for parents to submit to the children. In Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, here's slaves and masters. It also doesn't make sense. As slaves submit to masters, masters are to submit to slaves. That's not what Ephesians 5.21 is saying. And Ephesians 5.22-33 talks about Jesus and the church. Uh, the church is to submit to Christ. Is Christ now called to submit to the church? No, in the context, Ephesians 5.21 says that we are to submit to one another unto the Lord. Right? Parents submit to Christ as children submit to parents. Masters submit to Christ as slaves submit to masters. Right? The church submits to Christ as Christ submits to the Father. All in order we are to submit, not to one another in the same way. 
Therefore, what the submission of the wife is not, we are, we'll move on this quickly. You are not to submit to your husbands as, on, as in place of Christ. You are not to idolize your husband. You are not to mindlessly obey him. You are not to follow him as if you are following Christ. Colossians 1.18, Christ is to be preeminent. He is to have supremacy in your hearts and in your marriage. 1 John 5.21, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Your husband is not to be your idol. It isn't to be equated with giving up all efforts to influence her husband. You're called to influence your husbands. Wives, you have that right. You have that power to influence with the right motives, with right motives, with right forms of communication, right softly, gently, humbly, in the proper time, proper manner, and the spirit of submission, you are to influence your husband. First Peter 3, 1 and 2. For unbelieving husbands, you influence them by the purity and reverence of your life. As a fellow believer, you have many ways to influence your husband. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Submission it does not mean you give in to every demand of the husband. You give in every demand. No, that's not submission. Our first submission is to the Lord. Acts 5.29 Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. Exodus 1.17 These Hebraic midwives, because they feared the Lord, would not obey Pharaoh. Even children, Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, according to Scripture, for this is right. So, if you have a husband who forbid you to go to church, you go to church. If you have parents that forbid you to go to church, you go to church. If you have a husband that forbid you to talk to your children about the Lord, you talk to them about the Lord. If you have a husband that calls you to commit adultery, immorality, you disobey. Your husband wants you to lie or cheat, you follow Christ. You have a husband that forbids you to reprove him when he is sinning. Galatians 6.1 A Christian husband, you reprove him. You correct him. You call the elders to help you reprove your husband if he is in sin. Right? Submission is not turning a blind eye to sinful behavior. It's being a good Christian, speaking the truth in love. Practicing church discipline to your husband if he is sinning. If he is sinning. Submission, two more, isn't the same as being less important than her husband. Not about importance, not about value. A wife's submission just simply means Different role, different function, but not importance. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all co-heirs with Christ. Equal value. And it is not based on the husband's superiority to her. Her submission has no implication that he is superior in any way. It's not about ability. It's not about intelligence. It's not about experience. Not at all. Only different roles. Right? Genesis 2, hus- wife is to be the helper of the uh, husband. 
Likewise, John 16, the Holy Spirit is our helper. doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is inferior to us in any way. It's just different role, different function, right? Some ways, let me give you why, some ways to influence your husbands. The first way is Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Put on the full armor of God. Do not fear your husband. Be above reproach by putting on the full armor of God. Be a godly woman. Put on the helmet of salvation. Whatever he does to you, he cannot take away your salvation. Fear not the man who can take away the flesh and do no more. Fear the one who has authority to take away your body and your soul. Put on your helmet of salvation. Put on the shield of faith. Right? Your armor, your main protective armor is you trust in God. God is sovereign, not your husband. You put on the belt of truth. You know God's word. You speak the truth. You believe the truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You practice righteousness. And all that you do, be above reproach in your, before your husband or he can't blame you for anything because you're practicing righteousness. And put on the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You're one offensive weapon. You speak the truth to your husband. That's your first way to influence your husband. Second, prayer. Right? Pray for your husband, Ephesians 6.18. Pray for him in secret. Pray for him before him. Call others to pray for him. Right? He, wants to see, he wants you to see a bad movie with you. Right? You sit right there next to him and say, you go ahead and watch the movie, I'm going to sit right here and pray for you. Right? <laughs> Pray out loud, God, deliver my husband, right? Pray out loud for him. Pray for his eyes, pray for his soul, right? Third way is godly friends. Godly friends. Right? Encourage your husband to have godly friends. Bad company corrupts good character, right? So in that way, oh, I like that guy. You know, you should spend more time with him. Right, you know, I'll watch the kids. Why don't you hang out with him? Because you know he's a godly husband and he will influence your husband in a good way. Right? Fourthly, Romans 12, 17-21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? Righteousness again. Doing good. Doing good to him. Number five, soft tongue. Gentle speech, Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 25.15. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. A gentle tongue can break a bone. Next one. Speak the truth in love. I, I, I I think this is the one area where our wives uh, struggle the most. Where our, our wives maybe they practice this the least. They don't tell their husbands the truth. You're not helping your husbands if you don't tell them the truth. You're destroying them. You're, you're breaking them. You're, 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 you're not helping them if you spin things and lie to them. Right? Speak the truth to him. About him, about the family, about you. Right? Speak the truth to him. Tell them what, what, what the reality is. We tell our husbands, 
you're not doing well, you're not leading well, you're not a good husband, you're not a good father. And our husbands go, to, go home and ask their wives, and their wives say, oh, you're doing great. You're a great husband. You're a great father. You're not helping your husbands, and you're not helping the elders. You're not helping the church. You're not helping your family. Tell them the truth. Be a, be a clear mirror, right? right? Be, a, be a good mirror and reflect what is really going on in the home, really going on with him. Next one is uh, Matthew 18. Practice church discipline. Right? If he's sinning or is acting sinfully, right, rebuke him, correct him. Right? I mean, Lou Priolo was so honest to tell this story how he used to watch cable TV late on to the night. Like after midnight, 1 a.m., and his wife would tell him, honey, time to go to sleep. Oh, no, I'm okay. I'm going to watch, finish this movie. It'll be over at 3 a.m. You know, I'll come up later. And then one day she said, you know what? You know, by you sleeping so late, you're going to be tired for your ministry, counseling sessions in the morning. This, is, this has to affect you. This is not discipline. I'll call pastor so-and-so tomorrow morning and ask him what he thinks about you watching cable TV till 2 in the morning. Remember what Lupriolo said? His response? I'll be right up, honey. I'm coming to bed right now. Right? Matthew 18 works. Right? Use that to your husbands. If your husband won't listen to you, call Bob, right? Call me too, but if your husband's bigger than me, call Bob. Right? And we'll get right to it. Right? Well, these seven sessions, it's been a tremendous study. At least for me, my view of wives and women has shot up, skyrocketed. Oh, the value of women in this world, in our community, in the church, in our family is priceless. Let's pray for our women. Let's pray for our wives. Let's pray for our moms. Because as you excel in these seven traits, it's not so that you have a good reputation. What does verse 5 say? It says that the Word of God is at stake that the Word of God may not be reviled. When the world sees our wives, and they see them loving their husbands, loving their children, see them be sober, pure, workers at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, what's the response? The world, especially other wives, other women, non-believing women, will say, God's word is true. God's word is powerful. The gospel is real. Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God who forgives sin. And I know this is true because of these women, because of these wives. Right? May that be the testimony that wins over people. And I think we have the perfect day for Carrie's testimony. Right? Carrie... Her heart was open to the Word of God. By God's grace, Laura's testimony, by Laura's life. She was practicing by God's grace, 1 Peter 3 and Titus 2. If Carrie saw in Laura rebelliousness, she wasn't loving her husband. She was neglecting her children. She wasn't uh, sensible. She wasn't wise. She wasn't pure. She wasn't kind nor good. And above all, she was rebellious towards her husband. Carrie's heart, would have hardened like a rock. But by God's grace, Laura was, Titus 2, softened Carrie's heart when the gospel was preached. 
She embraced it. May that story multiply in our midst as our women seek to obey Christ. Let's pray. Let's take a minute out and uh, the wives that are nearby you, if you just pray for them. Moms that are nearby you, let's pray for them. Oh, great God, your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You have proclaimed your word and will not return to you void or empty, but it will accomplish its set purpose. You have given us the scriptures to save us. You have given us the scriptures to sanctify us. You have given us scripture so that we might know the fear of God. And so by that, grow in wisdom. And wisdom that starts in the home. Wisdom that starts in the permanent relationship between the husband and wife. And Lord, we of your people say, Lord, you have opened our eyes. You have granted the husbands wisdom to know how to conduct ourselves with our, in our own homes with our wives. You have given us clear instructions how and how we are to humbly, sacrificially as servants love our wives give ourselves on their behalf and sanctify them unto you. You've given our, our wives clear instructions, clear descriptions on what they are to be and what they are to pursue in their lives. Lord, uh, we ask for your help. You know, that these uh, things that we have been studying, it's impossible for sinful man. It's impossible by our own strength to grow in these qualities these characteristics. But Lord, with your help, we can scale a wall. With your strength, we can advance against troops. With your help, Lord, we can indeed do all things. So Lord, we um, pursue these things not by working, but by resting in Christ. We pursue these things not by doing, but by believing, by trusting by studying, by submitting to you. Lord, may our wives be at rest this day, for they know it is Christ who works in them. Christ, the author of all things, creator of all things, the author of our salvation, who is at work in them to grow in these qualities. May they, may they trust in you and apply these things diligently, obeying in response to faith because of faith. Lord, we uh, pray for our dear women, our dear wives and moms. We grant them much grace, O Lord. May their eyes be set upon you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.